My, my direct answer to that question is I think for the first time we've now baked how we make money into the relationship and technology has caught up so that we can measure that, we can manage that relationship um, and it's good, it, I would argue it's good for everyone although there are some bugs um, in a number of different places. Hello and thanks for joining Minter Dialogue. Today is Sunday the 24th of March 2019 and this episode is with Patrick Campbell. Patrick's the co-founder and CEO of ProfitWell and has seen inside more subscription and SaaS companies than anyone else in the world. By using the proprietary industry data on over 8,000 businesses, they help some well-known companies like Zapier and Wistia to identify the best pricing and growth opportunities that are working today. In this conversation with Patrick, we discuss the ins and outs of subscriptions, the keys to creating a successful sub-model, the mistakes to avoid, and we explore the freemium model and also peel back the profit well story, as well as digging into Patrick's marvelous overcoming of a personal challenge. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Patrick Campbell, great to have you on the show. You are um, someone who runs a business, focuses on subscriptions. You also do a really interesting vidcast podcast uh, that we're going to get to talk about. And you have gone through um, a wonderful life transition. So we're going to get to talk Mm. all about this together. In your own words, Patrick, how would you describe yourself? Ooh, that's such a such a broad and fascinating question, right? No, um, or maybe not so fascinating, and that's the problem. But uh, yeah, I uh, so I you know I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I run a company called ProfitWell. Um, we are a bootstrap company, which means we haven't taken any funding, uh, and uh, we're about sixty people here, mainly in Boston, but we have a small office in Rosario, Argentina. Uh, and then to describe more of me, um, I you know I'm from Wisconsin, uh, which uh, for any international listeners, that's kind of in the middle of the U.S. Uh, it's uh, you know Chilly dairy Willy. country, a lot, Chilly of, Willy. lot of yeah, a lot of dairy farms. So I grew up kind of in that area, and uh, you know went to school in Illinois, which is you know where Chicago is, and then I uh, came out east uh, to the East Coast here, and I worked at uh, I worked for the U.S. government in the Intel community, and then I worked at Google here in Boston, and uh, that was about six years ago. I started the company, so it's been. It's been a good career so far. Jumped around a little bit, but it. yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. And why Argentina? So there's a longer story there that's you know a little boring, but it, it really comes down to uh, our head of product, my business partner. He is from Rosario originally. He's been in the states for you know 20 some years now, but he uh, basically we found a good director level engineer. And kind of we're thinking of it, it was a good experiment. Uh, and then all of a sudden we just kind of started expanding the office. And um, it's it's relatively, um, you know, inexpensive labor relative to Boston. It's a lot easier for us to recruit down there because we're kind of the only, you know, fun startup, if you will. Uh, yeah, and it's I just, I just love the culture as well. That, that team down there, the culture that they have is just so good. Um, 
a fun anecdote because I think it's interesting. We had a big argument in an all hands meeting about snacks. Um, and all the Bostonian folks were, you know, hey, we should, or we were thinking, hey, we should have healthier snacks. And all the Bostonians were like, oh, don't take away the Diet Coke. How dare you? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm being dramatic for effect. Well, I got a message from the Rosario team saying, actually, we, we want less snacks because we don't want to, you know, get hooked on them. We're not here because of snacks. We're here because of product. Mm-hmm. And that was just like a perfect kind of comparison. Uh, and uh, it was a really, really good lesson overall. But uh, I digress. That's no, that's that, why. I that, that's wonderful. It sounds like a very mainland European type of argument. And you must uh, tell all your Argentinian friends that you're on a podcast with a, an absolute aficionado of paddle tennis, which oh. the Argentinians <laughs> uh, have dominated over the years. So um, what do you tell us a little bit more about ProfitWell? Yeah, so we we are squarely focused on understanding subscription growth better than anyone else. That's our, our big mission. Um, and what I mean by that is we want to understand the truth of, of why a subscription company grows, how they retain their customers, you know, what's what's best for them. And so uh, pragmatically, what we have is we have a free subscription financial metrics product. So you plug in your billing system, and then we basically give them all of their financial metrics for free. So they're, uh, it's called MRR, their monthly recurring revenue, their churn numbers, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, And then the way we make money is we sell products that basically we can show them inside the the metrics product, hey, you have this problem, and then we can sell them a product that solves that problem or helps that problem. Uh, and so that's kind of our philosophy on building product. And we have one product that helps reduce churn, um, and then we have another product, uh, churn being cancellations, and we have another product that helps with pricing. Well, clearly subscriptions are doing well. In uh, When I was listening to uh, what you guys have published, uh, Abby on Subscription 60, uh, she said that revenue subscriptions uh, have grown five times faster than the S&P 500 mm. over the period 2012-2018. And it, it obviously is working well. To what do you sub- ascribe that success? I think so. So I think there's a couple of things. I think that uh, if we go way back, you know, if you think about commerce over the past, you know, thousands of years, right? Uh, it started off with bartering, right? And you didn't have like you had to have a pretty good relationship with people, but it was hard. Like it was just mechanically hard to exchange goods and services. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you started to have, you know, money. Obviously, uh, mint after minting, minter here, um, you know, in terms of the name and the old family, uh, and and all of a sudden. We now, in the world of technology, we have an easier time measuring the actual value that I am providing you. So instead of, hey, um, you know, I, I, you buy a box of cereal and I hope that you come back next month. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you're getting the value that I think you should be getting from that cereal. Now I can actually measure and I can say, okay, I can give you a financial model that ties us together in a relationship and because of that relationship, I get some benefits as a business because I know you're, you're at least going to come back as long as I'm happy or you're happy, excuse me. I can measure the value that you're getting, how much you're consuming, those types of things. And you get continual performance because I'm always looking at it and making sure, trying to make sure that you're happy, right? Or, or that's how it works out in a good way. So I think 
my, my direct answer to that question is I think for the first time we've now baked how we make money into the relationship and technology has caught up so that we can measure that, we can manage that relationship um, and it's good, it, I would argue it's good for everyone although there are some bugs um, in a number of different places. Let's talk about those bugs a second. I, mm. I'm, I'm wondering to what extent, let's say if we swing back for let's say a decade whether it was cable subscriptions or phone for those who had them subscriptions and all that there was this element of locking you in for a 25 24 month period and and for that i'm going to give you a, a lower per month and so on and nowadays there are many more situations which you might sign up for a, a longer term but the cancellation has become less complicated and, and the ability to swap out. And I'm wondering to what extent that's con- that kind of liberalization, if you will, has contributed to the success because that's really a customer-facing benefit. Yeah. I think that's I think that's absolutely right, right? Like so you you buy on your own terms basically. Um, or for the most part, right? So so there are products that I might sell you that it's like I need you to buy for the year because if you don't buy for the year, then I'm not going to get you know, enough out of it, right? Um, and I'm not gonna cover my costs or I'm not gonna cover my acquisition costs as they're known, right? And so I think that, but then you have a choice to maybe go to another, you know, competitor of mine who has figured out those costs and, and things like that. So, but I, I think you're right. I think that the ability to get really close to that actual value metric, that that's what we like to call it, which is, you know, eventually maybe there's not even actually a subscription. Maybe it's just you pay per mile or you pay per little widget or what's it that you're using. I think the problem there is then people feel nickel and dimed, but it's it's one of those things where it's uh it's one of those things where it's tied very, very closely together. So break apart for me something you obviously must talk about, the difference between loyalty and subscription. That's interesting. That's a really good question actually. I I, I don't know if Depending on how we define those terms, and I'm going to hopefully use the generalized, you know, what I consider them. Um, I don't know if they should be too far apart, mm-hmm. right? Because if you have good loyalty with subscription, you're going to have really good retention, and and the, you only, yeah, you only get the com- compounding effects of subscriptions and monthly recurring revenue if you have good retention and good loyalty. And so, t- to me, like, yeah, I, I can have good loyalty if I'm a one-time product. Um, but it's 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 you know I'm not tying myself to that customer as closely as I probably should. There is a, a history with subscriptions, and if I take insurance as the prime example, where you oh, kind of yeah. line up for life insurance, you buy it once, and then it never occurs until a death happens or the the attic floods. And then all of a sudden, despite the fact that you've been paying month after month, his, you know, mechanically on the 30th of every month, there's small print that says, well, actually, because of the FUD that you had, you don't get the money back. And so mm. I, I've, I come into this conversation thinking, huh, subscriptions can be, let's say, ethically questionable at some level. Yeah. I was, I'm wondering how you approach that. Yeah, I think I I don't think you're wrong at all. I think it's that's a super tough situation, right? Because it's easy you and I no other details. It's like, oh, that insurance company's scummy, they're right. terrible, of right? Course. But then you're looking at the insurance company and you're thinking, well, 
technically what they bought was you know only this and this type of thing was different than that thing and and so there's a little bit of um i, I think there needs to be a little bit of a, a hippocratic oath if you will of like you know first do no harm when it comes to like subscriptions because you know if your um you know if your partner was like, hey, don't cheat on me, or, or don't, don't never, you know, never be intimate with another person. And then you go kiss someone else, and you're like, well, that wasn't intimate. It's like, no, like we, we all kind of agree that these are all the bad things, right? And right. so, you know, it's 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 one of those things where I think we we do harm when it comes to kind of you know the specificity. Um, but I think that there's, I think we're going to net out in the end. I think we are going to net out because those bad actors, you even see this in the insurance industry where the insurance industry is being upended by different models, right? Where, you know, people are providing, um, you know, different types of insurance. They're using different models. They're, um, the big thing with the insurance industry is, um, eliminating information asymmetry. So all of a sudden, like, I don't have to rely on the insurance broker to know something. I can have someone who's going to educate me, which means all of a sudden the costs were going to come down. Right. So, yeah, I think there's there's a careful balance. But that's what I love about the subscription world is you're going to have a bad experience potentially with that insurance person. And then you're not going to recommend them. You're going to actually probably go out of your way to, you know, make sure no one uses them. Um, and yeah, Social I think media. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Or, you know, review sites, all that kind of stuff. Right. And um, I think that's where it's it's really fascinating where it's that that relationship and, and doing doing no harm or attempting to do the right thing, um, which sometimes there's always still going to be bugs there even, right? Of course. You bought flood insurance and the house burned down. Like, oh, I, like, yeah, technically you shouldn't get your payout, you know, because well, it's different. It would be better if it flooded at the same time that it burned. Yeah, of course. Cause maybe hopefully it would save <laughs> most of the house, but yeah. A twofer. Um, so in the subscription models, as you as you work with companies, I, I would be love to hear what would be good examples that take under, I would say, undercover that Hippocratic type of approach. Where do you say, anyway, examples of great subscription models that really show through the beauty of the subscription model and that value that you're talking about? Yeah, th- there's one that's very technical that that some folks maybe have never heard of or, or they've heard of it but they don't know what it is. It's uh, AWS. Uh, so Amazon, um, Web Amazon, services? yeah, Amazon Web Services, exactly. So for for those who don't know, when you have an app or a piece of software, um, you know you have to host it somewhere, and we used to host it in you know closets basically with you know servers and now we you know basically outsource that if you will to you know these companies that have a bunch of really you know big buildings with a bunch of these computers in it Um, but what's really cool about amazon web services is that all the data is tracked Um, you pay for exactly how much you want and no more Um, when you use it you can very easily leave and you can download your data you can download your app you can very easily switch Um, and in some cases they actually make it easy to switch because they understand hey we're not always going to be for everybody and so uh, if you have this specific need or that specific need we're going to switch you over to that particular company uh, for for you right Uh, and that just engenders a lot of trust and that's why it's you know one of the more popular um, I think it's the number one for for that type of service Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's other companies out there. Um, another one that I think of that is, you know, a little bit more um, or less nerdy, but still nerdy, is a company called Litmus. Uh, it's email rendering. So when you send an email, you want to make sure it looks the same or good in every browser and every, you know, client, etc. Um, they're really good about 
understanding that not everyone is going to send enough emails to test the emails consistently. So there's some people are like, I'm going to send the same email for the next six months. I don't need to pay for this product. So they have like a, uh, like a, a low, very small costing plan, like a dollar per month just to save your data. Um, so you can basically downgrade to that particular plan. And then when you come back, you didn't lose any data, you didn't lose any information. And then when you want to use the product again, you basically upgrade back to back to the, the higher paid plan. And so there's just a lot of little things you can do to get to that, you know, do no harm concept. And there's plenty of bad a- apples, you know, out mm-hmm. there that we can, you know, talk about as well. But um, I think it's one of those things where it's 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 an evolving market. So what does it take to have that kind of approach? You're working with a large company who's looking for their shareholder profits. They have the pressure of performing this month, and they want to make sure that they pull in their number for the year, earnings per share. And if I could lock in ninety lock in ninety percent of my business, then gosh, that make my life a lot easier. How do you get over that kind of mentality? I think it as as a business, basically. Like well, I think Yeah. I, I think it's it's the I mean, that's kind of like what they call the innovator's dilemma a little bit, right? Like you kind of have to kill the thing that got you there um, or be the thing that's going to kill the thing, you know, that, that got you there, right? Um, and that's something that, you know, Facebook has also popularized for their their products. I think there it's, it's, a, it, it's incredibly difficult, right? Because, you know, you worked so hard to get to a monicum of success um, or a really large success and then all of a sudden – you know, there's other competitors nipping at your heels and they're, you know, you're losing market share and stuff like that. I, I think it really just kind of comes down to realizing that, you know, uh, <laughs> this is going to sound very morbid, but like death is inevitable, right? And so unlike, you know, dying as a human, right? You know, we haven't figured out immortality there. We can figure out immortality when it comes to, you know, a company, right? And, you know, you can you can do best by those customers. And that's why, you know, in the UK um, and even in the US, you have some companies that have been around for, you know, hundreds of years. And they've been around for hundreds of years, whether they're a pub or they're, you know, a, a big company that's now a software company is because they've reinvented themselves so many times. And uh, it's just really difficult. And I, I don't know if I have a good answer. I think it's just, you know, you have to, you know, as Andy Grove says, you have to continue to be paranoid basically about oh, what's going to kill us, what's going to kill us and, and running it through a framework and understanding that um, you have to keep building the things that are, um, you know, that are, that are the future. I, I wonder if the combination of the digitality of subscriptions, the facility of pay, the ability for customers to scream bloody murder a lot more than in the past has also contributed to this improvement of or the Mm. opportunity of subscription yeah um so just in the sense of like people being able to talk to one another or or tell me a little bit more the one hand you got the 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 facility that digital provides for signing up the payment it's it's there's such an ease and convenience to it and then for many of the subscriptions you do, you kind of just forget about it. It's like a line on your bank account, and it mm. goes in. And, and to the extent that that ease is not tied in with a, a clause of you know, try to lock yeah. you in and capture you, it, yeah. it, it, it feels like my life's better. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think, yeah, and it's kind of, 
it's kind of interesting too because there, there's there's kind of the other side of that a bit too where you forget about the subscription. Mm. You know, you stop using the product and all of a sudden, you know, you're paying on an, a, a monthly basis. And what's kind of cool is there's some companies now that will actually measure your usage. Um, uh, yeah. Slack, a very popular work uh, chat product. Uh, and then um, Help Scout, which is a very popular help desk. Um, they, they both basically measure, you know, active usage. And if you, I think it's like, if you log in more than once, you're an active user, which, you know, maybe you complain about that and maybe you're truly not active. But um, if you don't log in, they basically won't charge you, right? And they'll actually delete your account after a while. I mean, they'll try to contact you a bunch. Like if no one's logging in and you're still paying, um, there there's a point where they'll, you know, if, if they haven't heard from you, they'll delete your account and actually refund you um, a certain amount of that. And I, I think that's that's what's kind of interesting is that those companies you probably don't absolutely need to do that um but you can also you know there is a world of predatory subscriptions where oh let's price it low enough and uh or you know charge for the first year and charge twelve hundred dollars for the next year and um you know you've seen stories about that especially with uh credit ratings here in the u.s um Mm. where you know it's free for your report but you have to put the credit card in and then all of a sudden 30 days later you're getting a $50 charge and you didn't read the fine prints like the insurance contract and you know that gets problematic as well mm. that the term predatory is, is something i feel is part of the old mentality and yeah. and more and more it's being weeded out and we can see mm-hmm. that so in in your vidcast you did this uh, great vidcast um as you enjoy meditation uh with calm <laughs> yeah the, the, the apps Calm and Headspace in particular. And yep. what was interesting was, and I, I want to put this in the show notes, of course, is that you really broke down their approach and how each website, each app was leading you through and, and, and the whole idea of subscription. Because beyond the fact that it's a, a meditation every day, active, you know, meditation, guided meditation, sorry, you know, that's part of the system. But the way of bringing them in the options the subscriptions and you talked all you had all sorts of terms which you know including cac nps ftv and retention <laughs> um so talk us through what uh what makes for the better version freemium not and maybe some tips you could have as you set up subscription models on your website or your app yeah, so just in terms of like the best experience, if you will. Yeah, I think um I I am a big fan of something called freemium. Um I I wasn't always a fan. Um I was a uh um it was one of those things where um I ended up um you know really coming around to it because I think what's beautiful about freemium is you're giving the user experience when it comes to your product and your brand right and it's it's hard it's not an easy thing a lot of people think it's easy well it's easy to give something away for free it's like no it has to be good it can't be bad right and so if i was setting up a company with the knowledge i have now if if it was brand new to this i would probably set something up and a couple years into the business when i've learned a lot about the customer then i would open up a freemium plan Um, but if i had the knowledge i had now i'd open up a freemium plan i'd get people to start enjoying the product enjoying the brand Um, and i think that's really really useful because because it, it shows them, you know, that you're a good person and all that kind of stuff. And you're not pressuring them. Oh, you have 12 days to sign up, 11 days to sign up, etc. 
I think some other things to really think about um, your onboarding, I think, is incredibly important. Um, a lot of us just dump someone into a product, um, whether it's a consumer product, a B2B product, whatever it is. And in reality, you want to make sure that depending on the level of the product, um, I think it's super important um, to basically approach those particular individuals. Um, and, and based on that approach, um, understand um, how do you show them or get them on the right path to value? Uh, because they're going to come in and there's going to be tons of different fragmented experiences because everyone's going to click on different things based on their lives, right? And how do you guide them to get to the right place? Um, so I think that's that's a pretty big thing, um, you know, that that finds that that's pretty important, if you will, um, and and kind of rocking from there, if that makes sense. Right. And so when you broke down in your vidcast, you you, you looked at the specificity of the type of options you have as well and not just the the breakout clauses but whether it should be 12 days free a month free uh, or and the different types of models you can offer so if you're a business and you're trying to figure out what is the right series of freemium mm. whether it should be one year subscription two year subscription or just monthly you can break it out how do you help a company to set that up so like how you should charge like yeah. monthly annually etc um this is what's tough because sometimes it comes down to your business um so uh, there's a company called hubspot which is a marketing automation product and what's interesting about hubspot is it's it's a product that takes a little while like if especially if you've never done it before it takes a little while to get started right and so if they just did a monthly subscription to their their core product you know, that does blogging and emails and a bunch of other stuff, and you're new to marketing, all of a sudden it's like, that's that's a short time period for you to get ramped up and realize the full potential of the product. And so I would say if you have a little bit of a complicated product, a longer term, you're going to kind of need to protect yourself, basically. Um, so HubSpot, you have to buy it on an annual basis. They have a lot of training and all this stuff to make sure you get the value. But I think if you have a little bit of a simpler product, which which we should all, even if it's solving a complicated problem, we should all strive for. Um, it's just some problems there isn't a perfect, elegant solution to quite yet. Um, but if you have a simpler product, then, you know, making sure that term is short as possible, right? Yeah. Uh, so we, our product retain, we have what I like to call like a perfect value metric because we can measure the amount of money that we are bringing the particular customer. Um, and what that means is, is that we can show them and they can agree to, hey, you had this much money, now you have this much money and we're gonna take this small percentage. And that means like we don't, we have like no terms. Like yes, we charge them on a monthly basis and for very large customers we have, you know, legalese and stuff for data protection and all that kind of fun stuff. But um, we basically have no term, um, you know, and people can cancel when, when they choose to essentially. And so I think it depends on like how you're solving the the problem. And in some cases, not having a subscription is also the right idea, you know, and I think that's that's something that we don't talk a lot about, which right. is a one-time price kind of thing. One yeah, having usage. a one-time price is sometimes okay, and and maybe the one-time price is going to be a lot more expensive than the subscription, but you get some advantage, and there's going to be a small group of people, or maybe a good-sized group of people who actually want that. I, I'm going to give you an example, uh, and I'm I'm thinking in my mind as listening to you about Excel, Adobe Photoshop. There are times that I I really well in the case of Photoshop I only use I don't even know how to use it 
right? So if I do, I'm like, uh, where's the calc? Uh, uh, yeah. And, I'm, and I, I struggle. And so that's my time. And all I really wanted to do was get one PDF and create it and turn it into a JPEG or something like that, right? It's yep. a small functionality that I can do easiest, if you will, within Photoshop, but I have to pay for mm. at least one month subscription for that yeah. one little usage. So that's a one-time hit. And then if you think about Excel, you might only know how to use the plus and minus keys. Mm-hmm. And yet there's a whole bunch of macros. Macros, what yeah. are they? I don't know how to use them. And, and you have these variations. And then right now I have this other one with um, SurveyMonkey. I've just done a survey. And I, I, they tell me there's a premium version, great premium. It's a subscription for a year. But all I want to do mm. is, is unlock a little bit of the subscription for one survey. Yeah. And, and they, yeah. don't, they don't give me that option. I think they do have uh, a monthly plan. Survey right, they have the monthly big, plan. I like them. Yeah, so I think do they I. do have one. But, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I think it's – so what, what's funny of what you just mentioned is, is both Photoshop and Excel, they're, those are types of products where we all want to use 10%. It's just a different 10%. Right. Maybe Photoshop's an exception there, right? Like, so a hardcore designer, they're using you know, much more of sure. it. But, it. but I think what's really, really kind of fascinating is – there's a, a um, there's disruption that's happened in both of those spaces, right? For people like you who are like, I don't want to do this. So like Sketch, I don't know if you heard of Sketch. I yes. think Sketch is free on some level, um, and you can you can't do everything you can do in Photoshop, but you can do some of it. You have Google Sheets now, which you certainly can't do like heavy macros and stuff like that in, but you can do a lot. You can basically, I mean, for my Excel usage, um, most of my Excel usage, like day to day, I can use that just perfectly well. So this is like the PDF comment that you made. To me, when I hear that, I go, okay, interesting. That's probably a very common problem, right? Like switching from one type to another type. And I think Apple has solved some of that just in their interface. But that's a perfect little free product. Perfect little one. Like I want you to come in. The most you're going to have to give me is your email address, which means, yes, I am going to email you, but I'm going to give you this free you know, product value, and I'll be very exchange. respectful. Yeah. yeah, totally. And so it's one of those things where that's where I think – there's that innovation happening that we're talking about here um, that works just really, really well. Mm. Think through what – use data uh, and understand what your customers are looking for. So, um, Patrick, you, you with uh, ProfitWell, you went through a transition. Uh, let's call it a pivot. Tell us what that happened and what are the lessons learned? Yeah, I don't know if I would call it a pivot. Well, I, I you know, how, that's, that's why. I see I how one you say that. Yeah, know, yeah, no, but uh, – we um yeah so I think we started off so we started off just on pricing we were we were like hey this is a big problem and and it's because at my old job one of the projects I worked on was pricing and I realized we spend all of this time building cool stuff and it could be anything right and then when it comes time to actually put a price which is that measure of whatever the value is that you're providing we're like I don't know just just put it out there put a nine at the end of it and we'll call it a day right. And so uh, th- there needed to be some better science. And, and so we developed this product. It's got some algorithms to measure around pricing. And then all of a sudden, uh, that search for truth that I mentioned, we just started 
chipping away at different problems. And we were like, well, this data is really good, but it would be even better if we had this data. Um, and that's what led to the first iteration of ProfitWell um, was, hey, when we have that data, then there's so many other things we can do. And so we, we've basically gone deeper and deeper in order to generalize our mission more and more. Um, and it's been, I mean, it's been tough, especially as a non-venture-backed you know, venture -backed company, because it basically meant that we had to commit to a longer term vision, which meant, um, you know, for the first few years, I was making the equivalent of, you know, $30,000 a year. And, you know, obviously, you know, didn't have kids think, you know, during that time or anything like that. And so, and didn't have a lot of obligations, thankfully, but it's one of those things where, um, you know, we, we definitely, even now, like we put all of the profits back into the business. Um, and we have to be profitable because of our size or because of our, our, um, non-funding. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's, been quite the journey and there's been a lot of ups and downs uh professionally personally all that kind of fun stuff it is the journey you you did this wonderful interview with uh, patty mccord at uh, netflix and mm. and very much this notion that paradox or conflict between doing good and making money yeah and and what was it that makes you so key keyed up on this idea of purpose and doing good is it what is it that stimulated that is that just come from your upbringing and your parents uh, a specific event what what drove that what drives that yeah i don't i don't know if i have a good answer so i i you know coming from a, a very blue collar family my father was in the military um you know so there's there's always been this this sense of duty and, and just kind of doing the right thing but that wasn't that was more like an honor thing than a, you know, go solve a world problem, if you will, thing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not sure. And, and to be frank, you know, coming from that kind of background and growing up, you know, relatively poor, like it was kind of about the money in the beginning. It was like because I, I worked at Google and I was making, you know, pretty good, especially good cash for, for my experience level. And, um, you know, I, I did this cool little internal product that made Google a lot of money and I could kind of measure like how much money I made Google. And I got this cool award and this like small, you know, bonus. And I was like, wow, I busted my butt. And I feel like, you know, the, they're, they were going to shut my project down. And I was just like, I feel like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I should do this on my own. Right. And then getting into it, I think what happened is I found um, a lot of realization that I'm, I'm kind of like a, a I like to call it a problem holic, which like it really is a workaholic, but it's really more just like I like to dig into problems and puzzles and things like that. And so I don't know. And then to be frank, partnering with the right people. So um, our, our head of product um, that I mentioned before, um, you know, money isn't interesting to him. You know, uh, like we're yes, we want, you know, probably a, a sum of money that we would all agree is a good sum of money, you know, to live sure. right and to live very, very um, uh, comfortably. But we're not looking to make, you know, um, you know, something where we can just, you know, Hey, let's just get a million dollars a year for the next 10 years. It's like, no, if we're going to dedicate so much time to this, let's build something huge. And the money will be, um, a, a product of basically focusing on the product, if that makes sense. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's surrounding the right people. Um, there's enough, you know, childhood, you know, everything comes back to childhood, right? There's <laughs> enough childhood uh, uh, background that kind of spurred that, that mindset, if you will. And the fact that you're 60 privately held without funding in the background that pushes you, let's say, with a dagger to perform faster, get more returns quicker that also ha helps you at the very least 
Yeah, totally. And I think it, it puts us in a really good position, right? Because, you know, if we want to go raise money, we can, um, you know, maybe we'll get really good terms, maybe we won't. Um, and so I, I think it's one of those things where we, we also can like batter down the hatches as they say, and, you know, keep, you know, keep grinding for the long term. But yeah, we, we have put ourselves in a very, very good position. And, you know, a lot of that was, self-conscious or conscious and a lot of that was probably unconscious you know just us you know getting lucky in a few different areas but uh yeah it's been it's been a good journey so far well the last thing i wanted to talk about patrick is uh it was when when we were first introduced to each other i also heard that you had a health issue and i think as you get older you get more obviously aware of the issues of health but you're a young guy uh to have had this Tell us a little bit about that journey, what you'd like to share yeah. about it, and how it's impacted your approach to life and business. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I uh, So I have this um, syndrome ailment. I don't know. It, it gives me a higher propensity to, to unfortunately get cancer. Um, and and it's, it's one of those things where a lot of people have it and they never get cancer. Um, and it's not like life – well, the cancer is life-threatening, but it's the, the syndrome in and of itself is not life-threatening. And so um, I unfortunately had um, – I've had two bouts with, with cancer. Um, I, um, one was when I worked at Google. And um, frankly, if, if you can ever choose where you get sick, uh, working at Google and getting sick is probably the best place ever. Um, my, my boss was basically like, yeah, you, like, you don't have to come in. And I was like, well, I need the insurance. He's like, no, 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 you're going to get fully paid. You can just like leave for a quarter, <laughs> like take care of your stuff. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And like, I didn't, it's not that I didn't like spend a dime. I didn't even see a bill. Like I didn't even see an invoice. I didn't have to like contact. It just was all taken care of, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. so, um, that was kind of amazing, and, and thankfully it was caught, you know, early enough. And in, you know, I had surgery and some chemo, and then the second time, um, basically it, it kind of showed up in a different area, and um, it was caught very early because I was getting, you know, blood tests regularly and tests regularly. Yeah, and so that, I mean, the doctor said at that point they were like, yeah, if, if you weren't doing, you know, checkups regularly, we wouldn't even have caught this for probably six to nine months. And so that was kind of cool, um, just to find a silver lining. But <laughs> and this was this was a few years into the business, and so um, that was super tough because um, you know we were, I think we were on twenty people, and so we weren't, you know, we weren't zero people like two people but we weren't you know there wasn't enough people to do everything and so i don't know for me it 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 really kind of put things in perspective in the sense of um i don't like i i fear getting hurt and obviously i want to live on this earth you know and and live a good healthy life but i don't i don't fear death in the sense of you know like I've, i've come to terms enough with those emotions that i don't fear it in the sense of like oh my gosh like you know, it's, it's something that's going to hold me back. It's more like, Oh, this is, this is an inevitability. And therefore I need to, you know, basically like go and jump in and live my life to the fullest to say a cliche, but you know, cliches are cliches for a reason. Right. And I think that's, that's what really helped me. And, and when I got it at, at, at Google, it was like, it was this eye opening experience where I was like, I don't want to work in like a traditional nine to five. I don't want to work in a, you know, traditional like setting. I want to go like do something and i think it could have been you know making shower curtains it could have been you know digging ditches probably but you know software was kind of the world that i was in and so i I think that's what really really helped and so yeah i guess that purpose to to be frank i didn't even realize like the connection until now like that's probably where a lot of this comes from um that experience that i had well of course the the name profit well speaks volumes to that type of purpose and and for 
having spent a lot of time, I've done a documentary film of the Second World War, and I interviewed 130 veterans of the Second World War. And oftentimes this life-changing approach comes from some big issue that's come around, like death or like mm. real hardship. And so, you know, when someone complains about their dent on their BMW, you're like, well, okay. Yeah. Move along. Yeah. And I'm wondering, yeah. I was just wondering to the extent that that resonated with your father in this whole journey, because presumably by being in the military, he's faced stuff, he's seen things, he's certainly heard a lot more than most of people will have ever heard. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely, I mean, for him... Um, you know, it's probably, it's another podcast worth of content probably, but it's, uh, I mean, I, we, I had a tough, tough childhood if, if, if that makes sense, uh, without getting too deep, which I'm happy to do, but it's just, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're near in the end, I think. And so, um, him going, so he, you know, served in Iraq and, um, you know, as, as, you know, the, the second, the, the most recent Iraq conflict, I should say. Um, and he, yeah, I think it was night and day for him when he came back versus when he was before then. Um, and there was like a progression if we actually mapped it out, but I think it's hardship is like, it's not a contest. Right. And I think no. that it, it's more about perspective. Right. Mm. Um, you know, and when you, when you go out into the world and whether you experience it, God forbid, or you um, witness it or you learn about it, all of that perspective adds to um you having enough context to know or start to understand what's important, what's not important. Um, Even small conflicts and and hardships we've had at the company here, now I understand like, oh, that bad thing happened. It's not the end of the world like I thought it was in the the first year of the business. In the sixth year of the business, it's like, yeah, it's not the end of the world. It sucks. We'll fix it. But like, you know, it it can help you keep the highs low and the lows high, as they say. Mm, Nice. Patrick, uh, wonderful way to finish as far as I'm concerned. Um, Thanks for that perspective. And how can anyone follow you, track you down, and of course uh, sign up for your good services at ProfitWell? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but if, if you email me, uh, you know, especially if you have any questions about you know, any of this stuff or pricing, that kind of stuff, uh, pc at profitwell.com. might take me a little while to get back to you, but I always get back to everybody. Uh, and then um, you know, I'm uh, Patrick Campbell on LinkedIn, um, and I tweet. I'm Paticus on Twitter, childhood nickname. Uh, so uh, yeah, I thought I should change it now that I'm more quote-unquote professional, but uh, no, we'll just, we'll just hold on to it. Paticus Rumpicus. It sounds like a very you know, uh, Roman name. Yeah. <laughs> All hail Paticus. Um, no, it was, uh, it was a band. Um, it was actually, uh, I don't know if you remember the genre emo, uh, which yeah, is kind of like yes. punk. Uh, yeah. There was like an emo band, and this was when I was in uh, high school. And I, I wasn't like a listener of them, but one of my friends was. And, you know, their, their name was Atticus. And so he was just like, oh, it's like Atticus, but Patrick. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of the short, that, that's the short, actually the whole story. So, yeah. Patrick, yeah. thanks for coming on the show. Look forward to staying in touch and talking some more. Absolutely. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Joss Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors and neat. Different way to rid me of the grave. 
conditions that you mention in your lack of self-security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm wrapped in canvas. Hold me tightly, slowly we would paint a lover's portrait with all your Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.